0: Good morning, Grace. Hey, uh, just a tip, never tell a pastor you don't remember. We just like to assume you remember everything we say, right? So I'm just kidding. Hey, uh, real quick, a couple more announcements. Uh, Coming up in September, uh, we have the Eagle Sports Club run, uh, Soar Detroit. We've been doing this for the last few years. Uh, People run, people walk. You can do the 5K or the 10K. Um, I would love for you to show up for that. Uh, you can just go to soardetroit.com and right on the front page, there's a link uh, to the race. And it's just really fun when hundreds of us converge on the park. And like I said, you can walk, you can run, <clears throat> excuse me. But either way, we would love to have you there as a way of supporting SOAR and uh, all the good things that God is doing through that. Uh, and one more thing I wanna do before we get into the sermon. If you are um, heading off to college here pretty quick, and I should have done this last week, Uh, And I'm sorry, I didn't, but uh, would you just stand where you are? (laughs) Come on. So um, stay standing, stay standing. Uh, Here's what I'd love for you to do, and um, follow these instructions carefully. If you're sitting near them, I'd love for you to put a hand on their shoulder, I mean, touch them appropriately. I just want to make sure we're putting hands in good places. Uh, and we're going to just pray for God's blessing over them. So, Lord, uh, for those that are here and those that have already gone, I think of uh, our friends that have already taken off, and some of them are coming to my, my mind right now. And I just I pray for them. I pray that as they head back to college that you would um, just guard them, that you would protect them, that you would put a hedge of protection around them. I pray that they would make great choices for the freshmen that are heading off, I pray that they wouldn't get sucked into that culture of partying and doing the things that are just gonna bring uh, heartache into their lives, that they would just walk true with you. I pray that they would find a good community wherever the school is that they're going to, where they can have friends who are, are walking out their faith and can encourage them. I just pray, Lord, that you would take them from this place and protect them and guide them and direct them. Thank you. Uh, For each young person standing up in this room, we just pray uh, that your blessing would be over them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you guys. Hey, uh, for the last few years in August, we've uh, purposefully... Uh, Taking a a break away from what would be our typical series, and we do something we just call passages. And the idea is whoever the teaching pastor is that week can just teach whatever passage uh, God has been stirring in their hearts. It's a good chance for us because sometimes God's been giving us something for a while and it just gives us an opportunity to teach that particular uh, topic or that particular passage uh, that God has for us. And the passage that I'm teaching this morning is actually a story. And it's a story that's probably pretty familiar to, to a lot of you anyway, you're gonna, you're gonna know the story, you're gonna have, have heard the story, but I'm convinced and even more convinced now that I sat through that worship service that it is a story that God has specifically uh, desired for us to hear and to learn and to absorb some things from this morning. So grab your Bibles, turn to Mark, the Gospel of Mark. Mark. <laughs> Right at the beginning of the New Testament, turn to chapter four. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under your seat. We encourage you to bring your Bible, bring your electronic reader, bring whatever you use at home when you do your 15 minutes with God uh, and make notes in there, but just make that uh, something that you're bringing along. So grab your Bibles, Mark chapter four. We want to encourage you to check in on social media, Facebook, whatever you use. Matter of fact, um, I didn't know I was going to say this, but if we can get 100 people to check in on Facebook, I'll give 500 bucks out of my own pocket to the run. So if 100 of you take a minute and say, I'm at Grace Community Church, up, oh, Joel's doing it. He's going for 100, yeah, okay, there's two. All right, if we get 100, I'll give 500 bucks to the run out of my own pocket. So just check in at Grace and let them know that you're here, let people out there know that God's doing something cool in here. Okay, so this uh, particular event in the Gospel of Mark takes place after a long day of ministry it's been busy and, and 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 Jesus has been doing what Jesus does he's been teaching and then he's been uh kind of explaining his teaching to the disciples and uh I don't know about you but when i read the gospels often i find myself thinking about the very end of the gospel of john where john says something to the effect of if if Jesus did way more than what I wrote in this book. There's way more that Jesus did. As a matter of fact, if we were to record all the things that Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough books to record them all. And when I read that, I think, wow. Like, if you read the Gospels, Jesus did a lot of cool stuff, right? But it's just a little segment of all of the things that Jesus did. And so I say all that to say, because uh, this passage we see the disciples, and we see Jesus after a long day of work, even more busy than what this passage probably is telling us, and what we see is they're tired and they're weary from a long day of work, and that's a good place for us to begin maybe to settle into the story, because my guess is, although I don't know how after that worship set, some of you walked in the door tired and weary, okay? So Mark 4, we're gonna start in verse 35. Mark 4, 35, it says, On that day, when evening had come, And so when I mean that day, he's just talking about after all of this ministry, he being Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was and other boats who were with him and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking onto the boat so that the boat was already filling but he was in the stern asleep on a cushion and they awoke him and said, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? one of the things I say to you often from this platform is that familiarity breeds complacency, right? And when I say the word complacency, what I'm really talking about is, is kind of a, a, an indifference, right, a casual indifference or Uh, being just disinterested in something or ceasing to be amazed or in wonder about the things that we read. It happens to us all the time. And, And we're in a dangerous place when it comes to the biblical accounts and biblical stories when the story becomes so familiar that we become complacent or indifferent about it. So a perfect example of that for me is the story of Christmas, that little baby in the manger. We've told the story so many times that we've stopped being in awe of the fact that the God who spoke the world into existence, the second person of the Trinity, actually decided to come in the form of a baby, in the form of a, of a human, right? It's just, it's an amazing story. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm often accused of using awesome and amazing too often. Well, the story of the baby Jesus is awesome and amazing, but do we still see it that way, right? Is it so familiar that we're like, yeah, yeah, we know, baby Jesus, cool great stuff. And what I want to encourage you to do is it takes some intentionality. If you've been around the church very long, if you've been around scriptures very long to not allow those stories to become complacent in your own heart. So what I want to do this morning is I want to kind of walk through the story, but I want you to experience the story as if you were experiencing it for the very first time. You've never heard the story before. And I just want you to engage your imagination And it starts with putting yourself in the boat. This is a couple of pictures uh, that I took when we were in Israel. I hope they come up on the screen. Uh, This is what they call the Jesus boat. It was excavated a few years ago on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. This is the actual uh, boat that they excavated. And this is just a model showing how the boat was probably done. And, and the only reason I want to show you that is because I just want you to get a feel for the structure. I want to get you to feel for how open this boat is. So when we read the story, this is the type of boat that they were probably in. And so you get a, a sense of scale. If you can see, there's a couple of people standing back here. It's not an enormous boat. It's a pretty small boat, but that's the boat that they're in. And I want you to picture yourself on the boat. I just want you to use your imaginations as the lights come down a little bit. Everything's great. You're cruising along on that little boat. You're enjoying the cool evening air. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, this is an intimate invitation. Let's leave the crowds. Just Jesus and some close friends on a boat, right? What an intimate setting, it's a beautiful day and they head out into the water, into the marvelous creation. Sounds pretty good. But out of
1: nowhere, there's a great storm. I want you to imagine the waves. I want you to imagine the wind hitting your face. Allow yourself to feel the anxiety and the panic that the disciples must have felt. Imagine yourself in this storm. Feel what they must have been feeling as the waves toss the boat, as the boat fills with water. Your very life is hanging in the balance. Let's pray.
0: Lord, I pray that you would take us where you want us to go this morning that you would be the one to speak to our hearts, that you would use these next few minutes as we unpack this familiar story to speak truth into our lives. Our prayer this morning is the prayer we pray every Sunday that we would leave different than we came because we've interacted with the living God. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen? So the passage starts with an invitation. If you look at the passage at the very beginning, Jesus says these words. He says, let's go off across to the other side, right? No big deal. A bunch of fishermen familiar with boats, familiar with water, traveling around the Sea of Galilee by boat would have been a very common thing. It was easier after all than walking. So, so this was a common request, a normal request, didn't seem anything out of the ordinary, right? And, and like I said, there's something sweet about the invitation. There's an invitation to intimacy. Let's travel together, just the few of us, right? It's, it's a great invitation but the invitation for a pleasure cruise takes a quick turn and things don't go quite the way they're planned. And if you've walked with Jesus for very long, then you've probably discovered it doesn't go always the way you think it's going to go. That God's ways are not our ways that sometimes there are curves sometimes you think you're going in this direction and everything's going to happen like this and something happens and now you're going in this direction and things are completely different that's the that's the walk we have with Jesus right life can be very unpredictable whether you're walking with Jesus or not walking with Jesus life can be pretty unpredictable right there are storms that come in our lives But make no mistake, walking through the unpredictability with Jesus is way better than walking through it without him, right? So Mark says in his gospel that a great windstorm came. If you went to the gospel of Matthew, he also tells the same story, and he just calls it a sudden storm. But I like those two words together. It was a great and sudden storm. One of the things that I learned when we were in Israel that that was interesting to me is if you go to the Sea of Galilee, it sits in a valley. It's literally surrounded all the way around by pretty high hills. And and the the way the topography is, you really can't see into the horizon. And as a fisherman and a guy who loves to be out on the water, I have learned to see the storms coming. We could be on Lake St. Clair or Lake Michigan or when we're in Florida, you can see those dark clouds. You can see something's coming. We need to get out of the way. We need to get into shore. But in the of Galilee, you're not going to see very far off. So the storms commonly would come over the mountain and they would be there. There would be no warning. So it's a sudden and it's a great storm. And this story in many ways is our stories. You don't have to be out on the water in a small boat to experience a storm. You don't have to be outside even to experience a storm. Sudden, unexpected storms are just a Reality of life in a fallen world, right? A bad diagnosis comes out of the blues, a car accident, right? Children make decisions that just wreck us. Spouses are caught doing things that bring havoc into the home, right? One author I read this week said, you're either heading into a storm, experience a storm, or you're going towards a storm, right, that that's the reality of, of life in a fallen world, that the storms are gonna, gonna rage, they're gonna come, right, regardless of what happened. Now, I, I want to be clear here just because I think it's an important teaching point. The storms that come are not always out of the blue. Sometimes we have storms in our lives because we've invited them. You know that, right? Sometimes you have storms in your life because you have decided to go your own way, Sometimes the storms are there because you have decided to do things that you know God doesn't want you to do. And when you willfully do what you know you shouldn't do, you are inviting storms into your life, storms into your family. You're inviting chaos into everything that you do. I was writing this and I was thinking about Walter White. You guys know who Walter White is? Come on, Breaking Bad, anybody? Anybody? right? If you watch Breaking Bad, you know, Walter is always kind of like asking the question, why are things going so terrible for me? Well, it might be because you're making drugs and selling them, right? But that's the whole point. Like sometimes, and that's an extreme example, but sometimes I feel like that's that's us. Like we cry out to God for help, and at the same time, we're making life choices and waving our fist in the face of God. Right, And we're wondering why the storms happen. So sometimes the storms come out of dis- disobedience. But in this case, they're doing exactly what Jesus said. He said, let's get in the boat. Let's go across the water. They got in the boat. They went across the water. They're in complete obedience to God. And the storm still comes. And the storm in Mark comes right in the midst of obedience. I think that's important for us to, to know. It's important for us to hold on to. Jesus says, let's go they go and then they're fighting for their lives. So what we need to accept is the fact that there's no avoiding storms. Jesus actually said in this world you'll have troubles. Right? He said, in this world you have troubles. But then he didn't say, unless you. There's no out clause. He doesn't say, in this world you have trouble unless you read your Bible every morning. doesn't say, in this world you have troubles unless you have enough faith. He doesn't say, in this world you have troubles unless you go to church every Sunday. Although that would be really good if you did. He doesn't say that. What he says is, in this world you'll have troubles. He also says, but take heart. I've overcome the world. But the point is, in this world you will have troubles. And this is the danger of any kind of teaching that you may have sat under that you hear that tells you if you just have enough faith, then bad things aren't going to happen to you. This thing we call the prosperity gospel, which kind of is, a, is kind of, I think it's an American thing, but now it's gone to, to other countries. But it kind of says if you just pray it the right way, if you just have enough faith, you get nothing bad's gonna happen to you and you get lots of good stuff. And can I just tell you, that is dangerous theology. There's no place in the American prosperity gospel. <clears throat> For any, any, you know, we, we need to have a theology of, of suffering and understand that God sometimes takes us through difficult seasons because he's trying to teach us something. He's trying to grow us. He's, he's using it. And if you think about it, Jesus was obedient, right? And he suffered. He endured storms of rejection and storms of persecution and storms of hunger and storms of exhaustion and storms of extreme temptation, Right? Jesus was not immune to suffering and we're not immune to suffering. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. The, the cross is a symbol of suffering. And I think in some ways we buy into the prosperity gospel more than we think we do. So when we look at somebody within the church culture, and we think because they have physical wealth that they are spiritually mature, right? We see uh, wealth and maturity is the same thing. And and because somebody has wealth, they may very well be very spiritually mature, but their bank account isn't the indicator of whether or not they're spiritually mature. We buy into it, I think, sometimes more than we think. When I went to India a few years ago, and, and we interacted with some people, the poorest people I've ever been around and all of my travels from Haiti to all the places I've been, the people we were with in India were the poorest that I've ever seen. And I was surprised at how much they knew about Jesus and how much they loved Jesus and how rich their walk with Jesus was. Why was I surprised? Because I buy into the prosperity gospel because I assumed if they're poor, they must be spiritually poor. And it was an eye-opening experience for me to realize that here's a group of people that I had something to learn from instead of thinking I had to bring something to them. So we have to just understand. And I know I've said it, but the first observation is storms are uh, unavoidable. Storms are unavoidable. And when the storms come... And Mel actually kind of alluded to this. The storms come. Our usual response is to lean into self. Our usual response is to take matters into our own hands, to do all that we can on our own to get through the storm, to manage the storm, to weather the storm. Now, I don't think it's explicit in the passage, but I think it's implicit in the passage. We don't know for sure, but I think the storm probably raged for a little while. And here's why I think that, because they were men who were used to the sea and they were men. And so let's just be honest. <laughs> they're not gonna ask for help until they have to, right? So a little wind came, they were gonna be like, dude, we can't handle this. They would've fought, they would've said, no, I got this. No, let's not wake them up, I can do this. No, we can do it, I, I got it, right? They would've done everything in their power, because that's what men do, right? They, they wanted to weather this storm and show that they're the tough guys and they're good leaders and they would've done what they could. And the other thing I love about the story is it's not until they finally figured out that it's not gonna work and they're, in danger of dying, then they sort of start whining, which is also <laughs> kind of man-like, <laughs> sorry. I can pick on the guys because I'm one of them. But all kidding aside, right, the storms come, we just get busy. We go into what's called survival mode, right? Men or women, we all do it, right? But it's not until the disciples come to the end of themselves that they cry out for help. Look at verse 38. And it feels like a pretty accusatory thing that they say to Jesus, right? They, they wake him up and they see, say, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing?
1: I wonder if you can relate to that cry. Have you ever said to God, can't you see me? I'm dying here.
0: Right? If you read through the psalms, we're not alone in this feeling. If you read through the psalms and the psalmist says, don't forget me. See my affliction as if God can't see it. There's this, this feeling, and Mel even talked about it. Some of you came in and feel like God doesn't love you anymore. It's a beautiful uh, kind of segue into what I'm trying to say. And There's this picture where the disciples are like, don't you realize how much trouble we're in? Right? They say to Jesus, don't you care that we're dying? And in verse 39, it says that he, he awoke, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, peace, be still. No long sermon, just three words, peace, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. The point of the passage is that all of our efforts aren't gonna get it done. Until we cry out to Jesus, nothing's really gonna change. The storms are unavoidable, and Jesus is our only hope. Jesus is the answer to every problem you're facing, is what God has told us. But here's the deal, and this is so important. This is not a story about the storms that rage out there. It's a story about the storms that rage in here. Because it's really a contrast of two different Groups of people, or one person in a group of people. It's a contrast between the disciples who were on the boat, who were experiencing the storm, and were afraid for their lives. There's two words, fear, in there. It says, Why are you so afraid? And then later it says that they feared God. Those are two different words. The first one is kind of cowardly or, 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 or um, yeah cowardly would be the best word for it, so so they 're afraid they're they 're they're, they're loaded with fear right but but here 's the deal they 're experiencing the exact same storm that jesus is experiencing what 's he doing he 's sleeping right there 's no better picture of being relaxed of being uh, comfortable in the midst of a storm than being able to take a nap and rest. The question that I would ask you is is how many are you of you are losing sleep because of the storm that rages in here, right? How many nights do you spend awake? So uh, I I know I say this to you all the time, but God always makes me live through my sermons. It's really annoying. Um, (laughs) So my daughter, Casey, I don't know if you guys know this, she uh, decided to go to Serbia to serve in a refugee camp with a non-Christian NGO. uh, And so she's there now and she Arrived And on a Friday, she sent me a text, uh, unfortunately with pictures too, and said, "Um, well, it's pretty rough here. Uh, It's actually, she said, it's a pigsty. The door doesn't work. We have to climb into the house through a window. There's beer bottles and cigarette butts everywhere. It kind of smells like marijuana. And there's a whole lot of us all living in one big room. Now, being the dad that I am, I'm ready to book a flight, fly there, Mount the door, clean the door. I don't know what I was going to do, but, but right? It's like somebody punched me in the gut. Well, that's where she had to spend that night, right? So this is Friday. And look, I didn't sleep very well Friday night. My baby's sleeping with a bunch of people <laughs> 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 who she doesn't describe very well, right? But this, all of a sudden, there's a storm that's raging, so I'm laying in bed trying to calm things, and I have a good friend who's very... Do you have any direct friends, right? Friends who will say what they need to say to you. If you don't, you need to find a direct friend. But I have one who I shouldn't name his name, but his name is Bryce Gray. And uh, <laughs> I was talking to Bryce at one point a while back about not being able to sleep because of all the stuff that was going on. And he just said, how come you can't sleep? Don't you trust God? Right, it's, he was right. He's 100% right. And the point is, so as I laid there in bed, I had to just kind of give Casey back to God. I said, you love her more than I do, God. You're going to protect her more than I am. You're right. But there was a storm that was raging. We all experienced it. And what I want you to hear is, is that there, this story is about God wanting to give you a great calm in the midst of the storm so that you can even sleep. This is way better than any pill or warm milk or whatever you use to settle your spirit so that you can sleep. This is a story about God bringing his peace to us amidst the storm. One commentator I read, and I love this, said instead of rushing to communicate our panic to him, we should allow him to communicate his calm to us. Isn't that cool? So, when you read this story, there are lots of parallels to Old Testament verses. Uh, and a lot of your commentators, a lot of the experts will point that out. But I wondered as, if I read it, as I read it, if Mark was thinking about the Psalms or if they were thinking about uh, Isaiah. And, and, and so, what I want to do is just read a couple of those Old Testament passages. I want you to just listen to the parallels in Psalm 107. Just think about This was written long before this event, but think about if they knew this psalm and went through this experience, how amazing it would have been for them. It says, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed and they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of men. They just lived the psalm.
1: How much must that have boasted their faith?
0: I believe this. God will not always calm the storm out there, but I think he is committed to calming the storm in here if we will lean into him and we will allow his peace to pass all understanding. Maybe some of the Guys, after this event, we're thinking about Isaiah 43. Let me just read this to you, too. But now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. I believe God is saying this morning, I have called you by name. Fear not. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, they shall, you shall not be burned. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior." It says, when you pass through the waters, when you go through the rivers, when you walk through the fires, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. Some of you feel the water rising. Right? Some of you feel the heat of the fire. Some of you feel the river raging around you. And God just wants to say, I have called you by name. I love you. Fear not. You can have peace amidst the storm. So going back to our passage in Mark, the last part of verse 41, the disciples ask the million dollar question. The question of all questions, right? It's really the single most important question you can ever ask and discover the answer to. It's the question that has eternal impact for every one of us in this room. Maybe it's a question some of you are even asking. The disciples ask, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this man, Jesus? Mark wants to make it clear to the readers that he is Lord of lords and king of kings. He is even Lord over creation, that he can speak and creation obeys him. So here's what we're gonna do to close out the service. I'm gonna ask the band to come up and uh, they're gonna get ready to lead us in a song. Um, Debbie, maybe it would be good to pull this TV back so that it's not in the way. Um, They're going to lead us in a song, but as they're coming up, I would like to just read a poem to you. And I just want you to sit with the words, who is this man? He is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, all powerful, majestic in all of his ways. He is truth. He is love. He is compassionate. He is mindful of each one of us. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is Lord of lords and king of kings, yet he is Emmanuel, God with us. He is Lord of lords and king of kings, yet he came to be one of us, to save us, to reconcile us. He is Lord of lords and king of kings, all powerful, yet he is our redemption through his shed blood. He is Lord of lords, king of kings, yet he is the one who chose to come and lay down his life for us. He is Lord of lords and king of kings, yet he is the one, he is our foundation, he is our rock. And with just a word, he changes everything.
1: With just a word, he changes the storms that rage around us. With just a word, he can calm the storms that rage within us.
0: I'm gonna invite the ministry team to come down, the prayer people, and and be down here. And as we sing this song, I just wanna invite you to come. If there is a storm that's raging, if you're having trouble sleeping, if you know that there is just stuff that you haven't been able to give to God in the way that that I'm talking about this morning, we would like to just pray over you. So prayer team, if you wanna come down now, that would be great so that you're already down here. Uh, So we're gonna sing. And as we sing, I just want to invite you to come and allow us to pray for you, to pray over you, and to bless you. So let's sing. come down after we're done, there's people here that still pray with you, you can continue doing ministry down here, Lord, we thank you uh, for the promise of your word, that when we lean into you, you give us a peace that passes understanding, I pray that we would learn, walk faithfully with you, thank you for the truth of your word, go with us. The joy of the Lord be our strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you. If you want to just kind of go out quietly and then meet in the lobby and talk, that would be great. Those of you who want prayer, we'd love to continue praying with you.